18 ways the Holy Spirit may use to speak to you. Thank you, sister, because I have to say 19 ways now, and art is one of them, isn't it? And I think the most important way that the Holy Spirit speaks to us is number 10. It's the foundation of all forms of communication by the Holy Spirit. Number 6 may surprise you. Number 12 will definitely surprise you. And number 18 is the sign that you have chosen to receive God's gift of faith. Number one is the most important tool God has given you to know the difference between a lying spirit and the Holy Spirit. So let's get started. 18 ways the Holy Spirit speaks to you. The first is the Bible. This seems rather obvious to us. John 6, 63, Jesus said, the words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. This is not just a book. In fact, it's not even a book. It's a library of books put together by scores of different authors. And my friends, I'm here to tell you something that you have already experienced, I hope. And if you haven't, be reminded, these are the very words of God to your soul. If you are able and willing to receive it, God will use this book to speak to you when you read it. When you read it, pray that the Holy Spirit will speak to you directly and he will speak to you directly. Will he speak to you directly? Does he actually speak to any and every believer? Yes, believe it, he does. In fact, Jesus said the counselor, the Holy Spirit will teach you all things, John 14, 26. How can the Holy Spirit teach you all things if he does not speak directly to you? He will teach you all things. He has to speak directly to you if he's going to teach you all things. Now, he may use different mediums, but there has to be something qualitative for you specifically that the Holy Spirit is orchestrating. Jesus said in Luke 11, 9, and 10, Ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. I am so encouraged by that, especially when I fall. And I feel separated from the Lord, and I say, Lord, I want to do better. I want to do different. And I remind myself of that promise, seek, and you will find. And in verse 10, Jesus says, because, why? Because the one who seeks, finds. And the one who asks, receives. And the one who knocks, gets the door opened. That's pretty amazing. It's pretty simple. All you have to do is seek, and you will find. The Holy Spirit will speak to you directly, and one of the ways that he does speak directly is in the scriptures. This is the most important testing tool to determine when you are receiving a spirit-to-spirit -spirit communication, a spirit to your spirit, this is the book. What's that verse that we all know? Isaiah 8.20, to the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. Um, if you don't have to test the spirits, then maybe you're not doing enough spiritual battling. Because if you are doing spiritual battling, I promise you, demonic spirits will be speaking to you. They do it in a way that is hidden. They do it in a way so that you hopefully will not, well, from their perspective, you hopefully will not even perceive that they're speaking to you. But if you feel a conviction, if you feel a compulsion, if you feel a desire to go in a certain direction and you're honestly unsure of what 
source this idea or this this pulling this guiding is coming from go to the scriptures and the holy spirit will use the scriptures to speak number two is signs signs is another way that god speaks to us i'm going to give you several verses today i don't have time to look up every single one of them so if you want to get out your little uh note program and write these verses down look them up later if you want to write them down with a pen that's fine genesis 24 4 through 21. this is the story where abraham sent his servant eliezer out to find a wife for his son isaac and uh eliezer says to the lord in his mind when he comes up to the well he says if it please you lord give me a sign as to what young woman i'm supposed to take back for a wife for isaac and he says when the woman comes let her offer to water all of my camels as well as me and so he asks her for a drink and she says yes and let me water your camels too you know what's interesting about that is that even after that eliezer says mm, i want to be really sure I want to be really sure and so he has to uh if you read through the story you'll find out that he there are a series of steps that he goes through before he's really sure and that's wise and it's also something that i've experienced when i ask god for something supernatural and it happens i have a tendency to doubt i have a tendency to say hmm is that really an answer to prayer and I'm learning, yeah, it is an answer to prayer. God does know what he's doing. He's all powerful. When we ask him, he will respond to us unless he wants to remain silent. Sometimes he has reasons for remaining silent, right? Yeah. But if we're not sure, uh, God will help us um, to move forward. But there's nothing wrong in asking for a sign. Um, if, if you're honestly unsure or you, you feel an inadequacy in your own abilities, it's fine to ask for a sign. There's another verse I want to give you, 1 Samuel 14, 1 through 14. And this is a story where Jonathan goes to the Philistine army and he sneaks through the, these two rocks that are sharp on every side and his armor bearer is beside him and or behind him. And Jonathan says, God can do anything. He can do anything with a few or a lot. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to call out to the Philistines. We're going to show ourselves to them. So they kind of go up over this crest and, and they show themselves to the Philistine. And he told his armor bearer before they did this, if the Philistines say, we're going to come up there and show you something, then uh, we'll, we'll fight them up here. But if they say, come to us, then that will be the sign that God has delivered them into our hands. And so they go down and Jonathan slashes through 20 of them. And his armor bearer comes behind him and stabs the rest of them who didn't die from Jonathan's first blow. And that, the faith that it took Jonathan to do that was incredible, but he asked for a sign. He said, Lord, I want a sign. And this is interesting because he asked for a sign based on what the Philistines were going to do or say. God can uh, move the heart of the king any way he wants, the book of Proverbs says. So ask for signs. Number three, providence or coincidental circumstances. Some of these I'm going to move on for the sake of time, uh, and I'll stop on a few of them. Number four, of course, is miracles. Miracles, and one miracle that I really like is 1 Kings 17, 17 through 24. We talked about that last time that I was here. Uh, for those of you who might remember, that's when Elijah, um, was it Elijah or Elisha? 
I think it was Elijah. Um, he prayed for the woman, and she had a son. And then when the son was 12, he got hot in the field, and his father said he's sick, and his mother took him home. And then he died. His breath left him, the Bible says. And so Elijah came back, laid his body over him, and prayed for him, and God resurrected him from the dead. Obviously, God does use miracles. He, he definitely is still working miracles today. I'm sure that each of you have seen miracles. Don't doubt them. And I certainly have seen miracles. I've definitely seen miracles in my own life. I've seen miracles uh, in direct answer to my prayer. And if you are led by the Holy Spirit to pray for someone, pray um, and, and see what happens. Number five is dreams. Uh, the Holy Spirit will speak through dreams, and he does speak through dreams today. I've asked the Holy Spirit to speak to me in dreams, and uh, he hasn't said yes or no, but I haven't had a dream yet. So I guess his answer is no. Um, however, when I was four, I did have a dream, and I do believe it was from the Holy Spirit. It was a very vivid dream of Jesus coming in the clouds, and it was that dream that motivated me to learn to read because I wanted to read the Bible for myself. I was like, I, I'm so excited about this Jesus guy who obviously is real, uh, and I want to know more about him, and I believe that's why the Holy Spirit gave me gave me that dream. I mentioned last time I was here uh, that I think it was well over a year ago, uh, my wife was, was struggling with a, with a situation, and I, and I just felt impressed. Would you like me to pray for you and ask the Holy Spirit to give you a dream? And he did. She was skeptical at first, and she said, well, you know, I never remember my dreams anyways. Uh, we woke up the next morning, and I turned over, and the first thing she said to me is, I had a dream last night. And God gave her a symbolic representation that was kind of weird as an answer to a prayer for assurance. But the fact that the Holy Spirit gave her a dream in and of itself was the answer for assurance. And because the dream itself was really uh, prompting her to, to take spiritual action. And that was kind of a warning in some ways. But God will still speak in dreams. And uh, I, I say this because we sometimes suppose that, that uh, God speaking to us in dreams is just kind of for um, special individuals. And in reality, God will speak to you in dreams if, if, if he chooses to, but it's not just for prophets. Sometimes he speaks uh, to people in a dream one time, and, and, and that's, the, that's the end of it. Okay, number six is surprising. And this is uh, Job chapter 33, and I do want to look up this verse here. And um, Job 33 is kind of one of those uh, places where we're told that he does speak to us in dreams. But the surprising one is that it says he speaks to us with sickness. And, and this is kind of strange to me when I read this, and I read it before last December when I got COVID, and I'm glad I did, because when I got COVID, I realized God was speaking to me through this sickness, and it was um, really instructive. Job 33, verse 14 and 15. Indeed, God speaks once or twice, yet no one notices it. Let's be mindful of the fact that sometimes God speaks to us, but we don't notice. We don't perceive it. 
In a dream, in a vision of the night, when sound sleep falls on men while they slumber in their beds. Now jump over to verse 19. Man is also chastened with pain on his bed and with unceasing complaint in his bones. Now jump over to verse 29 and 30. 29 says, Behold, God does all these oftentimes with men to bring back his soul from the pit, that he may be enlightened with the light of life. So what Job here is saying is that God speak to, speaks to us oftentimes. He may send us a dream. He may send us sickness. And that's kind of a strange, surprising way that God speaks. But I was actually, the first time I was supposed to speak here was, was last December. And I had to call a substitute because I got COVID. And after reading Job 33, I prayed and I, and I felt the Holy Spirit telling me, I made you sick because I want you to know that you must depend on me. And this verse uh, in the Old Testament that says, except the Lord build the house, they that build it build in vain. I came to understand that they who preach, preach in vain unless the Spirit speaks the sermon. So unless the Holy Spirit is here adding to you and giving you an ear to hear, it doesn't matter what I say or how I say it, you won't be able to receive it. And that was the message that God wanted. To, I already knew that, of course, intellectually, but when he allowed me to get sick with COVID in December, I, I, I felt that he was really emphasizing that and letting me know. Uh, and, and that was something that also gave me confidence, because now I realize even if I bomb, the Holy Spirit is still going to help people to receive a blessing. So uh, let's do three all at once. Acts 2.42. Acts 2.42 tells us that the disciples spent time doing three different things. And the three different things that they did were fellowship, breaking bread, and prayer. Fellowship, breaking bread, and prayer. The Holy Spirit will speak to you through other people. And sometimes he'll speak to you in a way uh, through other people that, for whatever reason, he, he chooses not to speak to you directly, but... Well, he does speak to you sort of directly because he convicts you that what this person is saying is especially for you. So that's why the fellowship is important, because the fellowship helps us to hear the Holy Spirit. Breaking bread, this is kind of a strange one, but, you know, it's important to just enjoy each other's company and to enjoy the blessings of the Lord. And then the only thing I want to say about prayer is listen. This is an important part. The first time I ever heard this was when I was probably 12 years old, and Morris Vendon was the pastor at College View Church in Lincoln, Nebraska, and he said something to the effect of, have you ever thought of being quiet and listening when you're done talking to God? And I was like, huh, no, I actually never had thought of that. So listen when you're praying, because this is the part of prayer that, that it may be easy to uh, forget about. Now, if you're new to this, what I want to suggest is that you listen by meditating on a particular verse. Okay, so that might make it easier for you. So you pray and you say the things that you need to say to the Lord, and then you say, Holy Spirit, fall on me. Give me an ear to hear what you want to say to me. And then read a verse and meditate on it and ask the Holy Spirit to, to apply it. So Psalm 77, 6 is, is a great suggestion. It says, I call to remembrance my song in the night. I commune with mine own heart. 
and my spirit made diligent search. Let me read that in two other versions. The New American Standard Bible says, I will meditate with my heart and my spirit ponders. This is what it means to seek God. Your spirit ponders. In the New King James Version, this is my favorite, I meditate within my heart and my spirit makes diligent search. So in your spirit, in your consciousness, with your heart and your mind, you open yourself up to the Holy Spirit speaking directly to you. And a great place to start is with a particular verse that you can meditate on. Now, number 10, in my opinion, is the most important and the most foundational. The Bible is the most important for testing, for testing which spirit you're hearing. But number 10, I believe, is the most important, and that comes from Romans 8.16. And this is the verse that uh, the Holy Spirit led me to two years ago when he spoke to me for the first time, I think, in 17 years. Actually, he had been speaking to me many times. But for 17 years, I was in apostasy, and I did not hear his voice. I didn't want to hear his voice. If I thought I heard his voice, it was like, no, that's a strange thought. Let me just sweep that out of my mind. But two years ago, he spoke to me as loud as a thousand trumpets. I, I could, he, you know, I don't want to say it this way, but he made it very clear to me that he was speaking to me. I, this is me. I'm talking to you. And it, there was nothing but love, but there was also a warning. He said, if you continue going in the direction that you're going in, you're not going to be able to hear my voice. So what are you going to do? Well, I went up to my office, I got on my knees, and I repented. And I received Christ, because that really was one of the things that I used to always say. If God is real, why doesn't he speak to me? Well, when he did speak to me loudly and forcefully, I was able then to look back over my entire life and realize he spoke to me there, he spoke to me there, he spoke to me there. He spoke. He's been speaking to me, like Job 33 says, and I perceived it not. And one of the things that he said to me is, yeah, this is how I'm going to speak to you. So uh, Romans 8.16, let me just read it for you because I, I think that it's really important to have some Bible on this. Uh, because it sounds a little woo-woo, right? It sounds a little, uh, you know, out there, if you will. So in Romans 8.16, it says, The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are the children of God. When Jesus asked Peter, who am I? And Peter said, I believe you're the Son of God. What did Jesus say to him in, in response? Flesh and, blood did not Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. If you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and your personal Savior, that has been revealed to your spirit directly by the Holy Spirit convicting you that this is true. It's a subjective experience. So when pseudo or so-called science comes along and tries to pick apart your experience, understand that science is really great for objective truth, not so good for subjective truth. And those who are very strict materialists, atheistic materialists, who say that if you can't see it, it doesn't exist, they will say that, that subjective experience is nothing but your imagination. But you know differently. You know differently. One of the ways that you know differently is because your life direction changes. I'm still imperfect, but I can tell you, if you looked at my life during the 17 years that I was in rebellion, you'd see a very different Mike Brasington. 
You'd see a drunk Mike Brasington. You'd see a greedy Mike Brasington. You would see an indifferent Mike Brasington. And now I'm not perfect. I still fall sometimes. But there's a big difference in what's going on in my life today. And the only reason there's a difference there is because the Holy Spirit came in and changed my desires and opened up my heart and my mind to enthusiastically seek God now because I realized, oh, God, this is what it means to have a relationship with God. I'm not just reading a dead letter here. I'm, I'm not just agreeing mentally to some principles and doctrines. This is a real person who wants to communicate directly with me. And so now I'm seeking. Now I'm opening my ears and I keep praying, God, give me an ear to hear. Give me an ear to hear. Give me eyes to see. Give me these spiritual gifts, Lord, that allow me to hear your voice and hopefully to have something to share with others, too. And, um, of course, you know, God has, has uh, done that. So this is the foundation of all other forms of communication. And the reason I say it's most important is because a lot of people read this library of books and they use atheistic material science and they say, well, that can't be true, and that can't be true. Well, that's not historical. Well, that's ridiculous. This is just myth. And they don't get any blessing out of it, do they? So unless you come to the Word with an ear to hear, which means the Holy Spirit is speaking to your spirit, this book will not do you any good. And that's why I say uh, the most foundational and the most important way that the Holy Spirit speaks is by testifying directly. What is testimony? It's communication. The Holy Spirit is communicating directly with your consciousness. God's consciousness somehow melds with yours. And I think it's different for different people, but I think there are some similarities. And I can tell you when the Holy Spirit forcefully comes in, I I know it's him because his thoughts are not my thoughts. And I, and I read that verse in different ways, but one of the ways that I read it is just the most basic. And that is when, uh, when, when somebody else's thought comes into my mind, I know that, well, that's not my thought. I'm still thinking it, but somebody else put that thought into my mind, right? Well, when the Holy Spirit does it, especially if he wants to make sure that you don't miss it, it's not physical, but it's like it's almost like an electric jolt. It's almost like you're more awake. You know, wow. And um, again, uh, you confirm those those impressions or those convictions or or those thoughts uh, we confirm that with with the bible so let's uh let's go to number 11 here we have eight more to go and seven minutes left we'll go five minutes over uh nature nature is the second most common way that god speaks to man and in some cases, nature is the only gospel that people will ever hear. That's what Paul says in Romans chapter 1. He says that everybody knows the eternal power and love of God by the things that were created. So you don't have to necessarily have the Bible or even have somebody witness to you. You can respond to those things in nature as the Holy Spirit whispers into that soul and says there is a God. There's evidence right there in front of you that things were created and uh, nature is really kind of interesting because when you start pairing it with the Bible uh, it can get really interesting now um, 
I'm going to say something new to you, and it's okay if you disagree with me, but I want you to study it out. Uh, but before I get to that, I'm going to use the moon as an example of how nature can, can teach us things. Um, now, this is a little bit different, but one day I was reading, and, and in Genesis 1.16, it says that the moon was made to rule the night. And then in the New Testament, it talks about the night and darkness and the rulers of darkness and how those who sin, sin at night, you are children of the light, not children of darkness. And so I thought, huh, if, what if the moon is could be an illustration of the devil? So I started thinking about it. Well, did you know that the earth only sees one side of the moon? We never see the dark side. That's just like Satan. He's got a lot of stuff hidden behind him. He only wants you to see what he wants you to see. And the hidden stuff, if you knew it, would cause you to change your desire right away. There would be no temptation. The only way that Satan can tempt you is with deception. If you find yourself desiring sin, just know there's something deceiving you. Because if you knew everything there was to know behind Satan's back, you, you would lose all desire. You'd be like, that looks good, and it might taste good, but I know there's death in it. I know there's death in it. Lost all my desire. If Eve would have just believed the word of God, <laughs> oh, she wouldn't have taken the fruit. And we're the same way. So, when you fall into temptation, oh, it's frustrating. Oh, Lord, I confess my sin. Why did I fall for that? Oh, I didn't want to do that, you know? Uh, and so we say, Lord, enlighten me. Open up my eyes. Open up my ears so that I can see this deception. So, the sun sees every side of the moon as the moon moves around the earth. So if you want to see what is hidden, you have to look from the perspective of the sun. The moon is positioned at a distance from Earth so that the moon appears to be the same size as the sun. The sun is 400, let me get this right. The sun is 400 times larger than the moon. And the sun is positioned 400 times away, farther in distance than the moon is from the Earth's perspective. Isn't that interesting? So Satan appears to be the same size as God in some ways on this earth, but he's not, is he? So the moon only gives off light from the sun, so Lucifer only has light insofar as it comes from God. However, like the moon, Lucifer mixes light with darkness. With Lucifer, there is variableness and shadow of turning, isn't there? The Bible says there is no variableness or shadow of turning with the Father of lights, from whom is every good gift and perfect gift. But with Satan, there's a lot of variableness. There's a lot of mixing light with darkness. But even the light, even the little specks of truth that Satan attaches his deception to came from God. So, now here's the part that you might disagree with. Revelation 12 talks about a woman with the moon under her feet. And I'd like to suggest to you that that moon under her feet is the devil. Now, traditionally, we say, well, that's the Old Testament or that's something else or whatever. I've never been persuaded by that. Maybe there's room for more than one interpretation. But every time I look in the Bible and, and it talks about something being under your feet, it's talking about domination. It's talking about rulership. And that woman represents the true church in heaven. And in heaven, it has been already declared, the prince of this world has been judged and cast out. You have overcome the world through Christ, right? So this is the declaration in heaven. 
And this is the mindset of the Christian. Be heavenly minded, but understand we're, we're still here on this earth. So we have these kind of two things going on here, the spirit and the flesh, the physical and the non-physical, or at least the seen and the unseen. And it already has been declared in heaven that the church is victorious. And that, I believe, is what God is trying to communicate in Revelation chapter 12 when he says the moon is under the woman's feet. But then what does it say? It says on earth, so there's a great sign in heaven. We have this woman in heaven, and we have the dragon in heaven, another symbol for the devil. But what's going on on the earth? The woman's running to hide in the wilderness, and the dragon is chasing her and stealing out all kinds of nonsense, lies and uh, persecution laws and whatever else out of his mouth like a flood. So anyways, study it. Uh, even if I'm wrong, the, the study... Um, in your Bible will do you some good. Okay, we've got to move quickly here. Here's the most surprising. Number 12 is the most surprising, and this is the way that the Holy Spirit might speak to you, and that is through disagreement. Disagreement. And I want to go to, I'm going to mention Romans 14, okay? Because Romans 14 talks about how if somebody's conscience won't allow them to eat meat sacrificed to an idol, don't look down on that, brother. He's had... Maybe he grew up in a home where that's what it meant. Maybe he even had an experience one time in a ritual where he ate something sacrificed to an idol and he got demon-possessed. Do you think after that experience he's going to want to eat meat sacrificed to idols? No. So that might mean something different for him. Whereas the Holy Spirit has told you it's okay to eat meat sacrificed to idols because your conscience is strong, your faith is strong, and you know that you're not inviting a demonic spirit into your body by eating this food. And besides, all the meat down at the market has been sacrificed on it also, whatever. Paul says, if you pray over it in the name of Jesus, it's clean, eat it. So the Holy Spirit may be speaking to one brother or sister to go in this direction because of their personal experience. And he may be telling you, go in this direction. So let's not think that even though the Spirit brings us into the unity of faith, that that means that we have to, or that we have to agree on everything, right? So Acts 15 is the one that I actually want to read to you because I think this is really instructive. Uh, and, you know, I could be wrong on some of these things, uh, some of the finer points, I don't know. But here's, here's how I interpret this. Uh, Acts 15, 36 through 41. And I don't think we're going to get to all 18 here, but do it. Okay. Acts 15, 36 through 41. Now I'm going to go ahead and Get my glasses out because these are these are making it difficult for me to. These are, I know what you're going to say. You're going to say you need bifocals. I tried that and it don't, and it and it made my head spin. So, so uh, okay, fourteen, no, fifteen, thirty-six through forty-one. Fifteen, thirty-six through forty-one. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brethren in every city in which we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Barnabas wanted to take John, called Mark, along with them also. This is the same John Mark that ran away naked from Garden of Gethsemane. He's mentioned all through the scriptures, really quite a colorful guy. Uh, but Paul kept insisting that they should not take him along who had deserted them in Pamphyla and had not gone with them to the work. And there occurred such a sharp disagreement that they separated from one another. And Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left. 
being committed by the brethren through the grace of the Lord, and he was traveling through the, through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. What Barnabas told Paul, what is Christianity without second chances? And Paul said, no, not giving him a second chance. He failed me once, I'm not giving him a chance. You can go ahead and give him a chance, fine. See you later. And the Holy Spirit blessed them because they had two different missionary teams now going out. But what I want to point out to you is that from John Mark's perspective, the Holy Spirit was speaking to him through Paul and through Barnabas. Have you ever heard good cop, bad cop? It works pretty well. Uh, I got pulled over once, and one of the cops, was, he was pretending to be my friend. He was all, hey, are you in me? I mean, he wasn't, because I'm smarter than that. Uh, but it does work if you don't know what's going on, and, and you feel like, okay, this guy's kind of on my side, and the other guy's scary, and he might arrest me, so I'm going to try and cooperate. Um, but this is sort of the Holy Spirit version of good cop, bad cop, because John Mark needed to hear both messages, didn't he? John Mark needed to understand when you have to face persecution, it is highly important for you to trust in the Lord and to keep moving forward with what he's called you. Now look, Jesus said if they persecute you in one city, leave and go to another. But if the Holy Spirit, that's the general principle, but if the Holy Spirit is telling you, you know, you need to be preaching in this city and persecution happens and the Holy Spirit says, you know, you need to stay and you need to keep preaching, um, then that's what you need to do. And that's obviously what happened there in Pamphyla. And so Paul was telling Mark, you need to understand the seriousness, the weight of your sin. And sometimes we need that. Sometimes we need God to say, I don't think you really understand the consequences of this choice. And so I'm going to let you feel a little bit of discipline, a little bit of rebuking here. But he also needed to hear what Barnabas had to say, which is, you're forgiven in Christ. You can still be used as a missionary. Yes, there are second chances, and third and fourth and gazillion chances, as long as your heart is still open to the Holy Spirit. So disagreement is one of the ways that the Holy Spirit may surprisingly speak to you. So we have a tendency to kind of take sides. And if this person is saying something and this person is saying something totally different, we're kind of like, well, you're not with the Holy Spirit and you are. Well, be careful. Be conscious and understand that sometimes the Holy Spirit may be telling you two apparently conflicting messages for a reason, right? Now, that, that's never true when it comes to doctrine, okay? Uh, we're talking about specific instances or, you know, things that are not clearly stated uh, in the scriptures, like, should I go here? Should I go there? Should I take that job or whatever? Okay, number 13, ceremonial ordinances. Ceremonial ordinances are one of the ways that the Holy Spirit speaks to us. And, and I personally think that the feast days are part of this. I think it's a wonderful way. And the reason I say that is because when my kids were younger, we did a Passover Seder. And, you know, you have bitter herbs and you dip them in the salt water and you eat them. And as you're doing this, you're reading Bible verses about this is to represent the bitter uh, experience of slavery in Egypt, and it also to, to New Testament Christians represents the bitter slavery to sin. And it's great. It's it's like a living Bible. And that's what God meant these uh, ceremonial ordinances um, to be. So uh, the same is true, though, for New Testament Christians, even if you don't find value in, in necessarily, you know, keeping, keeping a Passover or something like that. But every time you eat the Lord's Supper, this is to make your mind think about the spiritual realities. 
this is my body, eat it. Oh, just as the body needs physical food, my spirit needs spiritual food. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. Manna, the bread that came down from heaven. I'm the word that came down from heaven. So these ceremonial ordinances are ways that the Holy Spirit can speak to you. And I'm telling you, if you want to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit, it's okay for you to have a little communion at home. It's a really easy recipe. Bake yourself some uh, flatbread and get some grape juice and have a little Lord's Supper there with, with yourself and pray over it. And there are other things that you can do too. You can even create your own ceremonies. Uh, you know, the Lord loves it when children draw pictures of Bible stories. And you, you can do the same thing. Whatever the Lord leads you to do that's tangible and physical will help you sometimes cross that bridge between the flesh and the spirit, between the physical and the non-physical. So ceremonial ordinances, music. Music is another way. This is a little controversial in Adventism because we know that music can be misused. But I'm here to tell you, every one of these can be misused. Uh, demonic spirits will speak to you just like the Holy Spirit will speak to you. Spirit-to-spirit -spirit communication. And so just because there is a method or a means that is usurped and used by the devil, let's not throw out the whole thing, right? Because music is a way to set your mood and to set your mind into a meditative state. Um, I'm going to give you several verses for those of you who are writing down, but we're only going to look up 2 Kings 3, 13 through 15. First um, Chronicles 25, 1 through 8. First Chronicles 25, 1 through 8. Second Chronicles 5, 12 through 14. Second Chronicles 5, 12 through 14. First Samuel 10, 5. 1 Samuel 10, 5. 1 Samuel 16, 23. 1 Samuel 16, 23. Ephesians 5, 18 through 19. Ephesians 5, 18 through 19. And then Colossians 3, 16. And if you want those verses, uh, please see me at the end if you didn't get all of them. But I'm, uh, I, I'm not going to open it up to 2 Kings, but this is where Elijah or Elisha, one of them, probably Elisha sent to 2 Kings. Um, Jehoshaphat and I, the other king of Israel was at Ahab. They were trying to figure out something, whether to go to war, I think. And Elisha comes and says, the only reason I'm here speaking is because of Jehoshaphat, because I know his heart's honest and he's really searching the Lord. And what, what did the prophet say? He said, fetch me a minstrel and play music. And when you read these other verses, you will find that sometimes the prophets, one of the ways that they used to open up their mind to the Spirit of God was through music. So, uh, and there's been some really interesting brain scans done on nuns and other Christians and even Buddhist monks and stuff. Um, some fMRI brain scans and brainwave scans that show when people are in prayer, there is a different part of the brain that lights up. And when you put yourself in a, in a spiritual mood, um, you know, it's kind of like if, if you're in a loud and noisy place and you're trying to have a conversation with another person, that noise may be distracting. So turn off the noise, get into a place where you can feel comfortable and where you can actually have a communication between you and uh, other people. Well, it's something similar with the Holy Spirit. So music for some people is a gateway for supernatural communication. 
And, and, and that's very clear from the Bible. So uh, number 15 is good works. Good works. Now, our good works are not meritorious, but we were created in Christ Jesus for good works. Um, if you go do something good for somebody else, you're going to feel good about it. And, and you're going to realize some things because the Holy Spirit, Spirit is going to speak to you through your actions. So good works. Number 16, people. We've already mentioned that. Number 17 is angels. And number 18 is a willingness to do his will. Now, let me say something real quick about angels. I don't really focus on them because the Bible really kind of tries to leave them out. And, and so, I mean, the, it, it does mention angels. But it's never, yes, attending angels can come. But um, never in the Bible are we taught to reach out to angels or to pray to angels. Okay, so the reason I mention angels is because it has helped me to understand that sometimes angels minister the Holy Spirit to us in a similar way that we minister the Holy Spirit to each other. And if, if you understand that, then you know that sometimes a thought might come into your mind and it, it may be an angelic spirit under the influence of the Holy Spirit putting, putting it there. But we do know that we have angels that attend us, they're with us, they're assigned to us, and they protect us, they help guide us. And so uh, that's one of the ways that the Holy Spirit does uh, speak through us. Now, the last one here is, is the most um, important, perhaps, in, in some respects, and that is a willingness to do his will. It's John 7, 17. And, and Jesus was talking to people who were still kind of wondering if he really was the Messiah. And he said to them, if any man would do God's will, if any man chooses to set his heart on doing God's will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether I speak on my own authority or whether I'm actually from God. So this willingness to do God's will is something that is uh, very important for us in hearing the Holy Spirit. And we've all had those experiences where we have a conviction to go this way and we're just like, I don't want to go that way. In fact, that's what happened to me when I was a pastor. Uh, I wanted to go to law school. I was annoyed with how little money pastors make, and I was annoyed with what I couldn't do. And I was just like, if I went to law school, I could make a lot of money. And I got set up with the LSAT, the law school admission test. And the day that I, I studied for it for months, and I was unsure because I, the Holy Spirit had told me, you know, I was pretty sure the Holy Spirit had called me to ministry, but I wasn't 100% convinced, even though I'd been a pastor for four years, right? Um, and on the day that I was supposed to take the LSAT, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, you are not to go take that test. I did not call you to law school, and if you had any doubt, I called you to ministry. Okay, so I didn't go. By the time the LSAT came around the next year, because they only offer it once a year, I had talked myself into believing that I just had an overactive conscience. And I even had a couple of good Christian friends who told me, God really doesn't care what you do. Be a lawyer, be a pastor, be whatever, you know, God's going to bless you. Well, that's true in principle, but if God has specifically told you to go in this direction, and you say, I don't want to go in this direction, the Holy Spirit is going to respect your choice. He's not interested in puppets. And 17 years of the consequences of sin prepared me so that the next time that he spoke to me, 
I was not turning the other way. I was like, you are real. Thank God. I'm going towards you. And that's sometimes how the Holy Spirit does it. He's like, you don't want to believe me on this? Okay. All right. We'll see how you like that. And then he'll let you experience some of the consequences of sin. Sometimes we do that with our children as parents, right? You know, like, eh, don't go that direction, don't go that direction, as long as it's not going to kill them or cripple them for life. You know, sometimes we're like, okay, go, go find out what happens when you, when you go do that. How did you enjoy that? I didn't enjoy that at all. Okay. Well, that's why I told you not to do it. So anything that the Lord forbids us uh, to do, we can trust that he, he's, he's trying to do good work for us. Um, so this is... Uh, the most important is, is a willingness to do his will. And when you become willing to do his will to the point where you actually obey him, it's because you've embraced the gift of faith that God has given you. God gives us all enough faith to, to believe uh, when God says, hey, you know, go this direction, that it's for our good. It's it's for our good when, when God says go this way and not that way. So I want to tell you, one, we're going to end with one experience here. And uh, and and it's 717. I know this sounds a little crazy, and I'm not saying that God's going to speak to you in numbers, but the Holy Spirit can do whatever he wants to do. So about three months ago, I started seeing 717 everywhere. 717, 717. I saw it on my computer, my clock. I saw it on a television commercial. I saw it on the license plate. And... Um, and I think the third or fourth time I saw it, that's when the Holy Spirit added his conviction and said, yeah, I want you, I'm, I'm doing this on purpose. I want you to notice. I'm like, huh, well, why? What is it? I, I didn't know. I'm like, well, okay, fine. I guess I'll find out when I need to know. And for about three weeks, I, I kept seeing 717 everywhere. And then it dawned on me, right when I got out of law school, I went to work for a company called TMG Marketing in Denver, Colorado. And man, I thought I'd hit the big time. I had an office on the 19th floor with a big window looking at the Rocky Mountains. And I had a title. And I had a decent salary. And uh, the address of that building was 717 17th Street. Hmm. At the time, I didn't think anything of it. But the Holy Spirit brought that to my memory after I had seen 717, 717 everywhere. And I'm like, boy, that is curious. Seven months. Anyways, uh, a few months ago, no, two months ago, I think it was in March, uh, I was out in Oswego County um, preaching to my former congregation. I just wanted to go to them and say, hey, I know you heard that I fell away. I've given my life to Christ. And, and I just wanted those people to be encouraged uh, it, you know, because it's there's a damaging influence when a pastor says, I no longer believe this stuff. I'm, I'm going to live for the world. Um, and it didn't actually happen that way. It actually took a year or two in law school before the devil was able to wrench all the faith out of me. Um, but uh, my friend uh, who I took with me, he's been a friend of mine ever since I was a Christian, like when I first became a Christian when I was like 19, um, and uh, he was talking to me, and he mentioned this verse, John 7, 1, 7. And if any man would do his will, he shall know the doctrine. And that's when the Holy Spirit, I, I felt like I was wide awake. Because the Holy Spirit added his conviction, and he said, that's why. If any man would, and then I remembered, 
my favorite verse when I used to be a pastor, even before I was a pastor, was John 7, 1, 7, 7, 17. Because I knew if I wanted to know what God's will is for a certain thing, I just had to be willing to do it. And sometimes he shows us even when we're not willing, right? Uh, but then we become willing. So the point is that God will speak to you in all kinds of different ways. And if you're unsure if he's speaking to you in this manner or that, go to him and ask him. He's powerful enough to show you. He is smart enough to speak to your mind and speak to your experiences. And if you're not quite sure, keep seeking him until you know. And when you do know, then obey him because he only wants what's good for you.